This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network. This week's edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast is dedicated to the life and memory of sexy baby Jamie Jackson, who passed away this week at the age of 44. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Again, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number 104. Glad you joined us, whether you're listening to us on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or iHeartRadio. Anywhere else you get your podcast from, we're also available there. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast, and let's build this audience up bigger. You can also join us each and every day on our Facebook page scumbags wrestling and on our youtube page on this week's episode we're going to check out everything going on aew on their way to double or nothing and also check in with wwe and predictions for tonight with money in the bank as everybody climbs the corporate ladder where the risk is worth reward we're right back after these messages Hello, what is up everybody? It is Ocho from the Ocho and Ortiz Wrestling Podcast. Home to the best kept secret in the wrestling podcasting community. Our live podcast from Greektown Wrestling and Union Wrestling. We also discuss a lot of other things. WWE, AEW. Every once in a while we throw in New Japan and ROH. Be sure you're checking out our show. We are available on most major podcasts and platforms, especially on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, ochoandortiz.podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media, at Ocho Wrestling on Twitter, at Ocho and Ortiz on Instagram, or facebook.com slash ochoandortiz. We also do have a YouTube page, so be sure you're checking out our content there. Just search for Ocho and Ortiz in the search bar. Now, let's get you back to your regular programming. See the stars of tomorrow being built today at the Tyson Dukes Russell Factory. Each week on The Production Line. Available on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome back to the show. As per usual, we do normally cover the Ontario indie scene. COVID-19 has got that shut down. But there is one note, unfortunately, coming from the Ontario indie scene. And that is, as stated at the top of the show, last Tuesday, news came out about the passing of sexy baby Jamie Jackson. His real name was uh, Jamie Asher, and he was from Winnipeg originally. He was known mostly on the independent scene around here in London, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, working for HWF, and also in Toronto area working for Apocalypse. He was part of the Hollywood Hunks uh, faction that also included Custom Made Man, Stunning Sean, and they were managed by Otto Bond. Jamie Asher was 44 years old, and the cause of his death is unknown at this time. If you head over to uh, Slam Wrestling website, 
Greg Oliver has a story about Jamie Asher and his career and unfortunate passing. So we here at the Scumbags Wrestling would like to send condolences to Jamie Asher's family and remember his contributions to the wrestling world, especially in this area on the independent wrestling scene. And that's now going to take us to some talk about Canadian uh, wrestling-ish, because I guess Impact Wrestling is owned by Anthem, and that's based out of Toronto, so they're almost a Canadian-based organization. But if you joined Chris Maloney and I this past Thursday night on TNT on Facebook and YouTube, you would have caught our interview with Cody Diener. And he talked about his career, but also how things have uh, been really well and treated uh, great with impact, especially during this time where everything shut down. And unfortunately himself and uh, guys like Ethan Page and Josh Alexander were not able to be a part of the recordings that were needed for the tapings for impact but they were able to do something creative on their own here in Ontario and create their own videos that are going to be inserted into episodes of impact so that they're still available but not necessarily wrestling unless they can find other means of doing so like Ethan Page and Josh Alexander did by going to Battle Arts Academy. Also on that note, if you checked out that interview, you'd know that we are setting up a Patreon for uh, the TNT uh, throwdown side of things. And that's going to include our special uh, members only show that has the Fantasy Warfare Tournament. This past week we recorded episode number one, which was based on the 80s tag teams the greatest teams from the NWA, AWA, and WAF. If you join Patreon, not one single cent is going to go to Chris Maloney or myself. We are donating all that money that is raised through Patreon to Cody Diener and his Give for Charity events. And right now he is raising funds for the Rumble camp for the death. Unfortunately, because of COVID-19, this summer's camp for the kids has been canceled. They do still need some supplies, and that's where this money is going to go and help out. So I encourage you to check out the interview on the Facebook page and or YouTube for our interview with Cody Diener this past Thursday. And... Join us on Patreon for the Fantasy Warfare tournament episodes where Stephen O'Neill, Chris Maloney, and I break down different topics and you'll be helping out a good cause. Ethan Page recently did an interview with Wrestling Inc. Daily Podcast and he even talked about how, while Impact Wrestling has taken care of him and Josh Alexander, they end up canceling at least three shows, which were supposed to be for recording episodes of Impact, but because of the lockdown, they weren't able to do so. And they still got paid for virtually doing nothing. However, at the same time, they found a way of working with Iceman, uh, Destiny Wrestling, and at Battle Arts Academy to film a few vignettes that are being put into episodes of Impact. So, as I just said a moment ago, we're talking about Cody... They won't be missed on the show, and they are saying they're trapped in Canada as well, just like Cody is. Those vignettes for both the North and Cody did uh, start appearing on this week's episode of Impact, and this week's uh, episode started with Sammy Callahan, Ken Shamrock, and Michael Elgin. Shamrock and Callahan, I guess, are finding some common ground a bit, Callahan says he's not part of OVE anymore and they need to focus on getting the world championship away from Tessa and that's when they got interrupted by Michael Elgin because he feels he's still the number one contender and the fact that she didn't show up for 
rebellion, he probably feels also that he should be the champion, but they're going to find a way of at least determining a new number one contender. Of course, a brawl broke up between them, and that's how that segment ended. Then we saw OVE losing to Triple XL. The locker room talk with Madison Rain and Johnny Swinger had havoc on it, and they talked about Nevaeh showing up, but then they were also interrupted by Kimberly, who challenged Havoc to a match. We saw the video update on the status of Cody Diener, who's pulled up on the side of the road in his trailer, just keeping safe. Suicide uh, beat Johnny Swinger. Ace Austin cut a promo about the main event that was going to be happening as a triple threat. Moose had to sit down with Josh Matthews for an interview, and Moose walked off when he was told that he did not earn the TNA championship that he is claiming to be the current champion. It was also announced that they're going to do a number one contenders tournament uh, to face Tessa when she's able to return. And because Josh Matthews angered Moose, Moose has pulled himself out of the tournament. Cousin Jake ended up beating Joseph P. Ryan. The North beat the Creeps who were two little guys uh, over at Battle Arts Academy. Rosemary did a video when she was playing with tarot cards and predicting the future. And because of Moose pulling himself out of the tournament, Rohit Raju uh, said that he's going to take uh, Moose's spot in the tournament for himself. The main event saw Willie Mack retain his X Division title with a victory over Chris Bay and Ace Austin after hitting a six-star frog splash. Now, as far as it goes with the uh, Impact Tournament that they've announced for the number one contendership for Tessa's world title, the first round is going to see uh, Rohit Raju taking on Trey, Sammy Callahan against Michael Elgin, Ken Shamrock against Rhino, and Madman Fulton is going to take on Hernandez. So a lot of... Uh, Bigger guys, at least in the second half of the uh, tournament, to see who's going to go against Tessa. I'm not sure who to pick out of that at the moment, but it'll be a good tournament to see what or who comes out of it. Checking out AEW for this week, they were live back in Jacksonville, Florida, and this included having people like JR, Tony Giovanni, and Jake Roberts all present. Even in this COVID-19 scenario, however, Tony Khan tweeted out that all the talent and staff uh, working the whole show were tested uh, for COVID-19 and that they all had their tests come back negative and so that's why they were able to continue on with the show. Uh, but before going into the show, there was also a report that the Maryland State Athletic Commission had issued a fine to AEW for $10,000 for the unsanctioned match of Moxley and Kenny Omega from Full Gear last November. The weapons that were used uh, violated state rules, uh, being the uh, barbed wire bat and the barbed wire broom and everything else they ended up using uh, during that and cutting each other open. There's a whole lot of very archaic uh, rules that the state of Maryland has, especially still enforcing for pro wrestling. And yeah, just some things that probably should not still be in there, but they still are. And they violated the uh, athletic commission. So they're going to pay the fine, but they've also been warned that any future violations could uh, restrict them from returning to the state of Maryland and could also result in an immediate shutdown. So if the violation were to happen, say, on a episode of Dynamite, and it's 8.49, and somebody violates it, there goes the rest of your show. And they're having to find a way of filling in the rest of the hour and ten minutes as a scenario. Uh, so next time they go to the state of Maryland... They'll have to be very careful of what they end up planning or just totally 
avoid that state. I'm not sure if WD has been to Maryland for a while, and if so, obviously they've been able to avoid it themselves and know the rules, but yeah, AEW is now going to be paying $10,000 and having to do that within the next 30 days. They're clearly not going to be fighting um, the judgment against them. They're just going to do that and move on. But it does kind of put a little bit of a black eye on AEW at the moment. AEW won't have to worry about violating any rules in Maryland as they're still unable to travel for any extent. But they are able to return to Jacksonville, Florida at Delhi's Place, which is attached to the same arena the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, play out of. This week, Excalibur, Jim Ross, and Tony Giovanni were back together to broadcast this event, and the first match of the night saw the American Nightmare taking on the bad boy, Joey Janela, and it was a very competitive match with Cody picking up the victory. After hitting Janela with the crossroads for the pin, after the match, as a show of respect, Joey and Cody shook hands and congratulated each other on a tremendous battle. Just as of note also, the uh, stands were used a bit more, uh, putting in some crew members and uh, some wrestlers to create more of an environment of being an actual wrestling event. And they even used uh, Pyro to open up the show. AEW Women's Champion, the native beast Nyla Rose, returned to action after being off for a while, and she took on Kenzie Page. She quickly hit Kenzie with a senton, went for a cover, pulled her up at the two count, and then continued to uh, give more punishment to Kenzie, just sending a statement to the rest of the women in the division, and hit two power bombs and finished off Kenzie with a beast bomb to get a decisive victory. Then she ended up screaming, who will be next to step up to Nyla Rose? MJF had a uh, video from earlier in the day and said that after being only on TV for about five to six months, people are comparing him to legends like Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. And that even though he's only 24 years old, he's going to be a champion in the blink of an eye. Sean Spears cut a uh, video saying that what happened to Dustin in his match against Lance Archer was Cody's fault because Cody refused to throw in the towel. But at the same time, it was Dustin who told him not to throw in the towel. So it was a, a huge Rocky IV uh, moment again with that whole thing. Um, but he said that Cody could have uh, stopped the onslaught of the brutality that Lance Archer put on his brother Dustin and that he feels that Dustin's career is now over. And that that's something that Cody is going to have to live with. Then at ringside, Tony Schiavone had MJF, who was accompanied by Warload, and Sean Spears. MJF uh, and Spears talked about Cody. They talked about MJF's injuries and how he's come past his injuries and is healed up and ready to return to action next week on Dynamite. And that's when Schiavone also informed uh, MJF that as per Tony Khan's edict MJF will face off against Jungle Boy at Double or Nothing on May 23rd our next matchup was another very competitive one that even required the pitcher and pitcher uh, commercial break and it was AEW world champion John Moxley taking on and defeating SCU's Frankie Kazarian after the match the members of the Dark Order, the Creepers, came out and attacked John Moxley, beating him down. Daniels and Scorpio Sky came to the ring to try and help out, and Dark Order took out SCU fully. And then Brody Lee made his way to the stage. He came down the aisle and into the uh, ring. He confronted Moxley. And saying that uh, he's there to answer the bounty that John Moxley put on his own head. And that there's nobody to save him. And he then challenged Mox for a AEW championship 
Moxley said, hey, all you had to do was basically ask. I would have given it to you. But that wasn't enough for Brody Lee, who then proceeded to kick Moxley in the face and sent the Creepers back after Mox. Brody Lee then walked away and took with him the AEW Championship. It was later announced in the evening that officially Moxley will defend the AEW Championship against Brody Lee at Double or Nothing. Brandy Rhodes was then shown uh, from earlier in the day and responded to Jake Roberts and Lance Archer's threats. And she uh, basically said that she knows all about Jake and today is not 1991. And if he were to slap her, then she's going to hit him right back. She finished off by saying that he might know her family, their history, but he does not know her. And she introduced herself again as Brandy Rhodes, Chief Brand Officer. And from now on, he needs to keep her name out of his old, dirty mouth. Up next was the murder hawk monster, Lance Archer, and he had Jake Roberts by his side. Jake was wearing a mask for a little bit and stayed away from the ring uh, during the match. Uh, he took, Archer took on QT Marshall, and Brandy was out with uh, Marshall. At one point, Marshall had an advantage, and Jake was looking very angry at what was going on. But in the end, it was uh, Archer who picked up the victory. At one point, also, Britt Baker tried to get involved and uh, use her shoe again. Brandy took the shoe and uh, threw it into the uh, empty seats. And so that's two weeks in a row that Brandy's gotten, or Britt Baker has gotten involved uh, with anybody involving the Rhodes family. So maybe we're going to end up seeing Britt against Brandy at one point. But that's after QT Marshall got uh, defeated by Lance Archer. Britt Baker ended up jumping the barricade and hitting Brandy from behind. Brandy was then knocked out and left uh, in the ring. That's when Jake Roberts walked down and entered the ring. Roberts uh, pulled out a large snake and uh, put it on top of Brandy, encouraging it to slither across her. Archer and Roberts then uh, watched and laughed on maniacally. Some people would wonder where Cody was at the time, but they made a point on uh, their Instagram, I think it was, to show that Cody had taken a photo with a fan or somebody, and or a student, and that he was heading to the shower. And because they were at the stadium for the Jaguars, the locker rooms were actually quite far from where Dally's place is, and they were being brought into the area with golf carts so he was definitely far away from being able to get there and help his wife in this uh, situation so have to see what happens next week and what sort of retaliation and statement Cody makes after what has happened to his wife Brandy. Taz was shown backstage interviewing uh, Darby Allen and even offered to help uh, Darby professionally Darby just uh, pushed the microphone away from him and stormed off. Then it was time for the main event where we saw Le Sex Gods, uh, which is uh, Le Champion Chris Jericho and the Spanish God Sammy Guevara taking on Broken Matt Hardy, making his in-ring debut, and Kenny Omega. Uh, Jericho and Guevara were also accompanied to the ring by uh, Jake Hager. While on their way to the ring, Pineapple Pete uh, took a swing at Jericho, but he was able to easily uh, duck that. Uh, Matt Hardy uh, started off the match going against uh, Sammy Guevara and biting his hand, and Hardy then uh, dropped Sammy with a uh, BT bomb. Omega and Hardy were working really well together, um, like they'd done so before, but this is actually the first time, I believe, uh, teaming with each other. Jericho and Hardy then ended up brawling to the back, and Jericho uh, sent Hardy crashing into the wall at the uh, entranceway, and Jericho returned uh, to the ring to help Sammy 
double team Kenny Omega. And so it was a two-on-one situation there. And then next thing you know, Hardy came back and he was wearing his uh, Hardy Boys attire. Matt ended up taking out Chris uh, Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Omega hit a Snapdragon suplex on uh, Sammy Guevara. And Jericho ended up bringing out a baseball bat. Hardy then ended up pulling out a ladder. Omega put up a table. And they basically did a Hardy Boy spot with Matt coming off the top of the ladder. Going through uh, Sammy Guevara who was put on the table by Kenny Omega. Matt Hardy went for the pin, but Jake Hager uh, ended up interfering and pulled Omega out uh, of his ankles uh, from the ring. This is basically when things got even more crazier because Jake Hager was involved and he was going after Matt Hardy uh, with Guevara out uh, being put through the table. Jake basically took his spot. Chris Jericho ended up bringing out a chair and going after Omega with it. They ended up fighting all the way through uh, the back, got to an ice uh, box, and Jericho ended up pulling out a bag of ice and uh, hitting Matt in the face with it. That's when Jericho and Hager ended up putting Matt into the ice box and it was left for Omega to basically do his own uh, job himself. Omega came back with trash cans going after Jericho and Hager. Sammy Guevara finally made his way back and uh, joined everybody and sent Kenny Omega into an ATM machine. Omega gave a running powerbomb to uh, Guevara into a steel garage door. Jericho came back and was going after Omega with a storage cart and hit Kenny in the uh, midsection. And then Kenny got suplexed on the steel barricades. This is when Damascus, another uh, incarnation of Matt Hardy, emerged from the ice machine and struggled to start up the golf cart, but he was able to uh, get that going. He chased after Jericho. Omega then hopped on the golf cart and they uh, chased down Sammy Guevara and he was uh, run over. The ending came basically when uh, Damascus, or Matt Hardy, uh, put Jericho on a table and Kenny Omega hit a moonsault off the uh, scissor lift, crashing into Jericho and Jake Hager. But Omega tried to hit the one-wing angel on uh, Jericho and Santana and Ortiz ended up coming up from behind and stopping it. The inner circle powerbound uh, Damascus through a table and Jericho uh, powerbound Omega onto the roof of the golf cart. Jericho then uh, hit Omega with the Judas effect and pinned Kenny Omega. The show ended with the inner circle walking away celebrating, and in the background was the scoreboard for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it said on it, the inner circle. And so this was how the week ended, and they're building up more towards Double or Nothing. We'll have to see what happens on the next two episodes as they get closer and needing to fill the card. This coming Tuesday, AEW will be having a mega episode of Dark. These, assumably, will be matches that were recorded at QT Marshall's center, and they're no longer going to be needed for Dynamite as they've returned to Jacksonville to start recording live events. So they're still going to let these matches see the light of day. They'll be released at 7 p.m. on Tuesday on YouTube. The following matches are what you're going to see. Luther taking on Jimmy Havoc. John Cruz against 10 of the Dark Order. Colt Cabana taking on Sean Dean. Private Party versus Musa and Lee Johnson. Orange Cassidy taking on Jason Cade. Dr. Britt Baker against Skylar Moore. Phoenix against Alan Angels. Chris Statlander takes on Danny Jordan. And the Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy will take on Mike Reed and Ryan Rembrandt. So all that's happening this Tuesday in a mega edition of Dark. And then this Wednesday, they've uh, scheduled Omega 
and Matt Hardy taking on the team of Santana Ortiz of the Inner Circle. Chris Jericho will be in action taking on Pineapple Pete, or, well, Shug D. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy will battle against Best Friends. There'll be a four-way match, which most likely will determine the opponent for Nyla Rose at Double or Nothing, and that's featuring Penelope Ford, Britt Baker, Chris Statlander, and Hikura Shia. MJF will be in action, and there'll be an interview with Lance Archer and Jake Roberts. Those segments were all taped last week at the same time as they did this past Wednesday's Live Dynamite, and they'll be returning to live action on May 20th, followed by also doing Double or Nothing on pay-per-view May 23rd. And so far, there's only three matches listed for that event, and it has MJF taking on Jungle Boy, John Moxley defending the AEW Championship against the Exalted One, Brody Lee, after the challenge was put out this past Wednesday, and of course, we'll see the finals of the TNT Championship Tournament with Lance Archer facing off against Cody to become the first ever champion. Now, if you believe what Tony Khan is uh, saying that this is on the same level as the AEW World Championship title, then the importance of this match probably will see Cody versus Archer as the main event for Double or Nothing. If you're looking for a great independent wrestling happening in our province of Ontario, look no further than Ontario Indie Road Trip. It's available on Facebook and YouTube, and we run down all the great events happening in this province. Whether you get in a car, bus, or train, there's a show near you. Support independent wrestling and the Ontario Indie Road Trip. Looking at news from WWE this uh, week, which there isn't too much to go with, Roman Reigns recently had an interview with TMZ about his current status. He said that he was doing well and that probably would be working if it were not for the fact that eight weeks ago he had two twin sons uh, born. He's staying at home uh, for their health uh, mainly and that he didn't indicate when he was going to be returning but he desperately does want to return, but won't do so until it's safe for basically his family uh, to do so. Uh, personally, I think it's a wonderful uh, thing that he's doing that, putting his family first. Uh, it is not mandatory that he needs to be there. Deputy has made sure uh, to let people know that, you know, if you don't feel safe, just stay home. Yes, it is reflecting in the ratings and uh, empty arena shows or performance center shows are uh, suffering for it. But I think if they hold him off and they've even stopped showing him in certain videos or talking about him and people are up in arms about it. But if they continue to just let him do what he needs to do for his family, when they are finally able to get back in front of audiences and resume somewhat normal capacity and events that's when they're going to bring him back because he won't feel as bad probably um for trying to keep healthy and not bring the sickness home to his uh, children but it'll also make for a huge pop when he does return and people see him so i'm okay with them keeping him off he's doing the right thing for his family and creatively, if they're keeping him out of sight, sort of out of sight, out of mind, will uh, make the ap uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder type uh, mentality. And he should hopefully get a big pop when he does return. Somebody who unfortunately made a return probably a little bit too soon is AJ Styles. This past Monday, he returned on Monday Night Raw to be the final participant in the uh, Money in the Bank match qualifier he won it that gauntlet match and will now be in tonight's money in the bank match now he did a sort of mixer uh podcast uh conversation interview what have you and during that uh stream he said that he felt that uh he could have done so much more to return I, he got heard a lot of criticism from fans saying that you know 
after being buried alive by Undertaker, he just came back normal AJ. And they could have done something else with him to uh, change up his style, make him darker, uh, just anything different than what he is. And he felt in a way that I guess Money in the Bank might have needed a little more star power for it tonight. And so that's why he was brought back. But if it was a normal circumstances and the world was the way it was in February, then he probably would have been held off longer. Would have had a little more creative in bringing him back into the scene and maybe a little bit of a image or attitude change. Unfortunately, that's not what we're getting. And a little bit of creative dropping the ball on that out of possible desperacy to get somebody such as himself into the Money in the Bank uh, match. This uh, upcoming Tuesday, FS1 is running a special showing of WrestleMania 3, followed by CM Punk appearing on this week's edition of Backstage. It's unfortunate and I'm not sure what is going to be happening with the WrestleMania special, if it's going to be picked up here in Canada or not. But uh, I guess that's why we have the WD Network anyways and can watch WrestleMania 3 anytime. A&E has announced a new series coming uh, soon that is incorporating WDE and it's called The Quest for Lost WDE Treasures. And it'll feature Triple H and Stephanie searching for rare WDE collectibles. And I guess with the description that was somewhat put out by A&E and WDE over what the show's content is going to be, it's looking like a... WD version of American Pickers. So they're going to be seeking out different areas where people have collections, much like uh, probably Conrad Thompson and the guys that he's noticed noted on some of his podcasts that there's an underground uh, collection of uh, people selling belts, boots, robes, whatever, and that's how he gets a hold of his stuff. And sometimes unloads any of uh, the stuff that he wants to uh, exchange for something bigger and better. So we'll have to wait and see when that uh, premieres and what treasures are out there that, for whatever reason, Vince McMahon does not have in the warehouse at the headquarters, as we've seen the stacks of uh, signs and caskets and everything. What is missing? from the his collection that they already have. And final news on this uh, episode for WD is that tonight after Money in the Bank will be chapter one of The Last Ride chronicling The Undertaker. Um, and this chapter is called Greatest Fear. The synopsis says, get a rare and revealing look at Mark Calloway, the man behind The Undertaker, as he prepares for the final match of his storied WD career against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33. Now, of course, we know that three years later, he was still active and doing the Boneyard match with AJ Styles, but it should be interesting to see where his mindset was and everything going into that event at WrestleMania 33 against Roman, because as we recall... After his match, he left his coat and hat in the center of the ring, signifying what most people assumed was a retirement, because in the old school, you would retire and leave your boots in the center of the ring. In this case, he left his gimmick right there. But, yeah, he continued on going. So, the other episodes of the uh, five-part series will end up being released on May 17th, May 24th, June 14th, and June 21st. And that'll be the uh, five-part series of uh, The Undertaker's Last Ride. Looking at results for this past uh, week in WWE, Monday Night Raw started off with the VIP Lounge, and this week, instead of the men, he had the women there part of the Money in the Bank ladder match. So he had Asuka, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. 
And basically there was just a lot of bickering back and forth without anything really significant being said as far as it sounded like. Uh, Asuka was obviously doing her uh, yelling and posturing in Japanese. Uh, Shayna mumbled something while Nina stood there and he sat there and really didn't say anything. And then both Asuka and Shayna attacked Nia because, well, they got attacked last week uh, by Nia and taken out with the ladder. So this time they uh, returned the favor and took out Nia Jax. Then our first match of the night was the gauntlet match. And we had Bobby Lashley coming out uh, first. And he quickly disposed of Titus O'Neil and then Akira Tozawa and Shelton Benjamin. But then, unfortunately, in his match against Humberto Carrillo, he ended up pushing the referee and got himself disqualified. So that eliminated Lashley. And Carrillo uh, went forward and defeated his cousin Angel Garza and then also Austin Theory. The final person to enter the gauntlet match was AJ Styles. And he came out uh, looking confident as ever. Uh, even though he'd just been buried by The Undertaker at the Boneyard match. And Styles uh, then showed that he hadn't lost a step and defeated Humberto Carrillo and declared that he was going to be the next Mr. Money in the Bank and that it would be phenomenal. Then Seth Rollins had to sit down with Charlie Caruso and Seth basically said that Drew McIntyre was not fit uh, to be the standard bearer and leader of uh, WWE and Monday Night Raw for that matter um, and promised that he was going to use a stomp to take the championship and the burden off of the shoulders of Drew McIntyre. Last week MVP had endorsed Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink um, and basically set them up to go against Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. And whatever uh, motivation that MVP provided to uh, Thorne and Vink was enough for them to pick up the victory and uh, defeat uh, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander after uh, Brandon Vink hit uh, Ricochet with a uh, boot to the face. There was a non-title match of the Street Profits, the current Raw Tag Team Champions, taking on the Viking Raiders. And as usual, the Viking Raiders has, I mean, have been dominating the Street Profits, and they did so again in this matchup, and they hit the Viking experience in this non-title match, picking up the victory. So one will assume that maybe even at Money in the Bank, which has not been announced yet, they could be facing each other this time for the titles. Charlotte Flair came out and was uh, challenged by Liv Morgan. Uh, one of the last times they fought each other over on SmackDown was when Liv then left to go find herself. And so this was her chance to stand up to the current NXT champion, Charlotte Flair. She definitely, she being Liv Morgan, had a better showing for herself in this matchup against Charlotte, but unfortunately, no matter how much Liv has improved, it was not enough to defeat the queen, Charlotte Flair. And Charlotte was able to pick up the victory with the figure eight. The main event saw Drew McIntyre defeat Buddy Murphy, or Murphy, uh, in a rather quick match. Uh, he hit the Claymore and got the victory and then was attacked by Seth Rollins. Seth was able to, though, escape before Drew made his recovery to hit the Claymore on him, and that left them staring each other down at, to end Monday night, leading into tonight's pay-per-view. Over on NXT this past uh, Wednesday, Johnny Gargano picked up a victory over Dominic Dijakovic. It was a really good match, uh... Candice LeRae got involved with it and definitely created the distraction needed for Gargano to hit the slingshot DDT 
uh, which he's calling One Final Beat. In the tournament Group B uh, matchups of the interim uh, NXT title tournament, Akira Tozawa uh, picked up a victory over Jack Gallagher. It's like two different people are booking Akira Tozawa because uh, he gets destroyed anytime he shows up on Monday nights. But in this tournament, he is now 2-0 and and putting on really great matches uh, over on NXT. So I'm not overly sure what to think of it. But yeah, they are treating Akira two different ways. Chelsea Green ended up defeating Zia Lee. Uh, especially with uh, some help from Aaliyah. And so it'll be interesting to see if Robert Stonebrand is going to be picking up Aaliyah as a, another client for him to team with uh, Chelsea Green. Karrion Cross made his debut on NXT and he had quit the entrance. He was accompanied by Scarlett, um, as we know, Scarlett Bardot. And uh, Killer Cross have been together for a while, so they're debuting together with Karrion Cross and Scarlet. And he uh, made quick work of Leon Ruff with a devastating Doomsday uh, Saito suplex before getting the submission with the cross jacket. Io Shirai picked up a disqualification victory over the current NXT Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair, when Charlotte used a kendo stick and got herself disqualified. Rhea Ripley uh, then showed up and confronted Charlotte. Charlotte was able to escape from Rhea Ripley, but at the same time, Io Shirai then got into Ripley's face, and they argued uh, for a while and got into a shoving match later on in the parking lot area. Kushida ended up picking up a victory in Pool A of the NXT Interim uh, Cruiserweight title tournament and he uh, defeated Jake Atlas with his armbar. This now makes Kushida 2-0 and in Group A. Denzel Dejeuner ended up losing to Cameron Grimes. It started off uh, really quick paced, but Grimes ended up hitting the cave-in for the victory. Then Grimes ended up getting the microphone and basically called out Finn Balor. And no sooner did he mention Balor's name, uh, Finn came out and started fighting each other. And Balor got the better the exchange. He was supposed to come out later on in the show and didn't. Uh, to address who attacked him a couple weeks ago. So we still don't know if it was Grimes himself, and that's why Finn went after him, or if it was somebody else, and Grimes just decided to pick a fight with Finn Balor. So NXT has another mystery on its hands, like they did a couple years ago with trying to figure out who took out Johnny Gargano. The main event saw Adam Cole retain the NXT Championship over Velveteen Dream. This was a long-awaited uh, matchup between these two for the championship. And it was really good and uh, went back and forth between the two. The difference maker seemed to be uh, Dexter Loomis, who unintentionally interfered. Um, and then after emerging under the ring, uh, from underneath the ring, should I say, uh, to stop Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong from uh, getting involved. Loomis ended up sending Strong into the referee, and the ref was unable to make the three count that Velveteen had on Adam Cole after hitting the uh, Purple Rainmaker. Cole then recovered and hit a super kick, and the last shot to uh, retain his championship, and that's where things ended this week on NXT. Then finally over on SmackDown this past Friday, it started off with Sonya Deville defeating Mandy Rose after getting a quick roll-up on her former friend. There was an eight-man tag team match involving the guys who were going to all fight against each other at Money in the Bank. The New Day 
teamed up with La Lucha House Party to take on Miz and Morrison and the Forgotten Sons. In the end, Miz hit Lindsay Dorado by surprise with a cr- skull-crushing finale to pick up the victory for their team. The segment ended with the Forgotten Sons and Miz and Morrison facing off against each other and holding back until this Sunday. Tamina and Lacey Evans defeated the Boston Hug Connection, or Bailey and Sasha Banks for that matter, uh, ahead of this Sunday's event. At one point, Bailey had Tamina down, had hit the uh, belly to belly, even the elbow off the top rope, but it wasn't enough to keep Tamina down. Tamina was able to get up and hit the Samoan drop. Meanwhile, Lacey had taken out Sasha with the woman's right. And we'll have to see if Tamina can do the small drop again to get the title off of Bailey or not. In the main event, Dana Bryan and Drew Gulak had picked Otis as their mystery tag team partner as they were to take on King Corbin and Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. King Corbin picked up the victory over Drew Gulak, but that's when everything else went downhill from there with the post-match mayhem that began and it had all the guys at the Money in the Bank, Otis, Brian, and Corbin brawling uh, back and forth using ladders on each other. And in the end, Corbin was the one who ended up climbing the top of the ladder and taking down the men's briefcase and posing with it as SmackDown went off the air, leaving us wondering, will Corbin be a two-time Money in the Bank winner this Sunday. Let's wrap up this week's episode with my predictions for tonight's Money in the Bank event happening on the WWE Network. Pre-show is starting at 6 p.m. tonight, and you can only imagine what the Money in the Bank segment is going to look like. Uh, there's been talk and rumor that some people are wondering if it's going to be multiple segments in between matches, or if it's going to go straight through i don't know it could be a mixture of both where all the building inside the building stuff is done in between segments and in between matches where they start off and are seeing different offices and the cafeteria and then when they all finally make it up to the roof that's when we'll get a steady uh stream of what is actually happening uh at that time until we have a winner now, if not, I would also like to see how it goes from start to finish in one length, like the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse match that we saw at WrestleMania. Other matches, though, that are going to be part of this, which I'll uh, run through first before getting to the Money in the Bank, is that Jeff Hardy is going to be go- taking on Cesaro in the opening uh, match on the pre-show for uh, 6 o'clock. It's kind of awkward that it's going to be Cesaro and not Sheamus doing this after what happened on this past Friday night with Sheamus confronting uh, Jeff Hardy and Jeff getting the better of him. But Sheamus' former tag team partner, I guess, is going to be in there. Instead, I can see Sheamus interfering and... Cesaro getting the victory in the end. Also announced uh, the other day is R-Truth taking on MVP for no particular reason, but I'm going to go with R-Truth picking up the victory over MVP. Uh, Neither of them get any rub from the other by picking up the victory or having a loss, but yeah, I'm going to go with R-Truth winning And he's going to be doing something crazy because he thought he was in the uh, Money in the Bank uh, match still on a uh, video that was posted on WD.com. The SmackDown tag team titles will be online in a fairly four-way match with the New Day, Big E, and Kofi Kingston defending against former champions Ms. Morrison along with the Forgotten Sons, who recently picked up a victory over the New Day, and the Lucha House Party, who recently picked up a victory over Miz and Morrison. 
So these four are going to go at it. I think, as I said on Thursday Night Throwdown, that this is the opportunity that Miz and Morrison take back the titles because they didn't lose them under regular circumstances. They had actually lost the titles in a triple threat singles match when Big E pinned the, the Miz. But when the teams are all at full strength, that's why I see Miz and Morrison picking up the belts again. Bailey is set to defend the WD SmackDown championship, Women's Championship against Tamina. Now, Bailey will most likely have Sasha Banks in her corner, and I see Bailey retaining her championship. She's had it for over a year now as she won it at the Money in the Bank pay per view last year after cashing in on Charlotte Flair. I honestly don't see Bailey dropping the title until at least the time when she ends up in her feud with. Sasha Banks officially, they keep on dropping hints of that happening, but then they keep on pulling it back. But I think this time they're finally going to do it. It's just a matter of time of when. And besides that question of when is also how, because ideally Sasha Banks is is way better as a heel than as babyface. But if she were to turn on Bailey, wouldn't that make her the babyface? They'd have to find some way of creatively doing it to put Bailey back as being a babyface since her heel run has been lackluster. And as I just said, Sasha is way much better as a heel. The Universal Championship will be on the line as Braun Strowman defends against the former champion, Bray Wyatt. Now, Bray didn't get a chance to get a rematch against Goldberg, and with Roman Reigns dropping out, Braun Strowman found himself at the right place, right time. I've enjoyed the fact that they are reflecting back on the fact that Braun was the black sheep of the Wyatt family, but in doing so, I don't think he's still going to uh, retain the title unless he's going against Bray and not The Fiend. If he's going against Bray Wyatt, I think Braun Strowman has a better chance of retaining but I'm still going to go with the title going back to Bray Wyatt. Drew McIntyre is going to defend the WWE Championship against the Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins, who will most likely have Murphy uh, running some interference for him. Now, this has been a unique booking as the champion and babyface has been proven more dominant than the heel that is chasing him. And I think that's going to continue tonight and Drew McIntyre is going to continue to overcome the odds and retain the WWE Championship over Seth Rollins. And then the Money in the Bank ladder match, which has been uh, deemed climbing the corporate ladder as the risk is worth the reward, is going to have all 12 uh, members of the Money in the Bank matches going through the building all at the same time. Now, as I said before we started uh, running down the matches, I'd like to see it all in one shot. But at the same time, I can see them breaking it apart like the guys over at Sunday Night's main event with Jason Agnew have kind of suggested. And unfortunately, it would look a little more comedy, I think. And as I uh, suggested, look a lot like the 24-7 uh, championship chase through a building. But I can see some comedy stuff uh, surely put in there, including them possibly doing like the old Scooby-Doo chase where you see a hallway and a bunch of uh, doors and you go, people going in one door, running out the other door and vice versa and crisscrossing each other, all trying to get to each other. There's definitely going to be some sort of brawl happening with food in the cafeteria. You're going to see, I would guess, some guest appearances throughout the uh, match as well where they're going to stumble into some rooms maybe Becky Lynch is there you could end up seeing different people that are associated with a lot of the members of the match that are going on that are not in it essentially and some callbacks to different things you never know what's going to end up happening in that and then there's the heavy rumor of somebody going off the roof because Vince McMahon even 
uh, demonstrated it and did the fall himself. So a lot to take in. Don't know how long this match is going to end up being. But for the women, it involves Asuka, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Carmella. I don't see anybody from the SmackDown side uh, taking it. As been described a few times, the Money in the Bank briefcase suits a heel more so than a babyface. So, ideally, it could be Shayna, as she really didn't get a good run against Becky Lynch. And Becky's held that title for over a year now herself. And the other option, I would say, is Nia Jax, because they're building her up to be a monster again. And if she gets it, then she can target Becky Lynch and say that she was basically the one with a punch to the face made Becky Lynch the man and got her popularity uh, skyrocketing in that uh, sense. So two interesting, tough decisions uh, to pick from. This is Nia Jax's first match, uh, major match, after double knee surgery. I don't know if she's uh, going to be good for doing the whole ladder spots and everything. Uh, I know they can do a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors in the format that they're going to do. But I'm going to pick Shayna Baszler to get the briefcase. Over on the men's side of things, Dana Bryan, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, King Corbin, Otis, and AJ Styles are all in the men's side of the Money in the Bank. The most sense is AJ Styles winning it because he can then go after Drew McIntyre as well. And this would be like a huge sort of comeback from after being buried by The Undertaker. Um, The only other person I could see doing it is Aleister Black. But then you're putting a baby face with the briefcase. And Aleister Black with it. I'm not sure. King Corbin would be the worst decision possible. We saw SmackDown end with him climbing up and obtaining it. But I think that's a little bit of a red herring. And he already had it once and lost. And he already has so much go away. He That would be the only reason to put it on him again but no I really do not want to see him do that so I guess my pick is going to be AJ Styles so both uh, cases being run won by raw competitors and both heels so I'm probably going to be wrong on that uh, because at least one should be from Smackdown and maybe ideally uh, regardless of who's getting it, it, should be a face. So those are my predictions. They're going to be out there. There's, it's so hard to uh, guess what's going to happen in this sort of situation. All I care about is that they're actually doing it. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this evening, take a break from reality, close out my mind from the fact that there's no fans there, but I don't even know if the matches that are happening... Uh, for the titles and the other singles matches, it, where they're actually happening. If they're going to be on the roof as well of uh, Titan Towers, or if they're going to be at the Performance Center. And with what's going on in Florida, there is a chance that we could see a little bit of crowd noise, uh, crowd participation. And yeah, tonight is going to be unpredictable. So sit back, enjoy WD Network for... Money in the Bank 2020, and then stay around for the first chapter of The Undertaker's Last Ride. Thank you once again for joining me on this edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, episode 104. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share, whether you're listening to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Also join me each and every Thursday on Thursday Night Throwdown with Chris Maloney. 
Also sign up for the Patreon for TNT, where you get exclusive content, including the Fantasy Warfare Tournament. Next week, I'll be back with the results of Money in the Bank and a review of Part 1 of Undertaker's Last Ride, which happens right after the show. We'll also continue the road to Double or Nothing. So until next time, have a great week, and we'll see you again. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night.